This is the Leeds Business Podcast, and I'm your host, Phil Fraser. I'm a business sounding board. Think somewhere between a business coach and a business mentor. I help business owners not to be lonely at the top. In this week's episode, we speak to Paul Dodd, owner of Leeds branding agency, All Good. Paul tells us how he started the business from his bedroom, no clients, gives us some tips on networking, tells us about the process he now uses to build clients' brands, tells us all about a unique and an amazing business pitch, and his near-fatal brain hemorrhage. He also teaches us how to prepare to sell your business and how and why it will benefit your business today. To make sure you never miss out on every episode of the Leeds Business Podcast, sign up to our priority list at www.leedsbusinesspodcast.com. Everyone that signs up gets a free gift to help their business. So, let's get into what is a really captivating interview. On today's Leeds Business Podcast, we have Paul Dodd from All Good, the branding agency. Hi, Paul. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for coming on. Now, those of you who listened to the Biscary episode, and if you didn't, there'll be uh, a link in the show notes, um, Paul Dodd got a shout out from the from the girls at the Biscary for all the fantastic work he did for them. So, Paul, tell us what all good do. All good. So we are we call ourselves the brand and ideas people. So we're we're a branding agency. That's our specialism, and we work worldwide to help companies um, define and shape and then craft their their brand and their story and their their positioning. So yeah, we've been doing that for. 20 years this November, Phil. Fantastic. Fantastic. So 20 years ago, what happened? How did all good start? So I had a, I had a job as a graphic designer. Um, I'd been doing that for about three years. And um, my mum and dad um, were been self-employed, you know, for my whole life. So I think I was always inspired by, by those, those, those awesome people. And I decided... I can do this, you know, in, in the job I was meeting, I was meeting clients. I was, I was doing qu- quite a bit of the work. So I thought, well, I, I'm sure if I, if I bill enough a month, I can cover my costs. So I, I left with, with no clients and never sent one invoice. I had n- no real connections, just a real bag of energy and, um, enthusiasm and passion to do it. So uh, I decided to jump ship November 2003. Um, and the weird sliding doors thing was I'd applied for a job a couple of months before that really good place that everyone wanted to work in the industry in Leeds. And, um, the morning, my first Monday morning, he phoned me up and he said, there's a role open for you, Paul. And I said, I've just started up a business. <laughs> and I said, thanks, but no thanks. So, I mean, at, at that point, I still didn't have a client, didn't have any idea how I was going to earn money. Um, and here we are today. <laughs> it obviously worked out for the best. Um, it, interestingly though, um, I, I took my mum and dad, mum and dad out for dinner to, to, to tell them I was going self-employed and they said, don't do it, Paul. It's a nightmare. If you're planning a family, it's, <laughs> you, you don't get paid when you go on holiday. Uh, it's hard work. It's uphill. <laughs> don't do it. I was like, thanks for the pep talk, <laughs> guys. And, uh, obviously didn't listen because. No kids listen to their parents, right? So, um, I, uh, I just went for it anyway. I had a very, very similar sliding doors moment when I started my business. I got a job, again, wonderful digital agency leads everybody wanted to work for. And I, I got offered the job and went to see them on the Friday before the Monday that was due to start and said, I'm really sorry, I can't take this job. 
I've got this thing happening here. I had the same sliding doors moment. So you've decided not to listen to your mum. You've decided not to take the job. How did the business start? How did you get going? Uh, It was just me, an iMac, a desk in my bedroom, um, a stack of pirated software (laughs) from from various places, as everyone did back then. Um, And what I did was... You know, in some ways, it's so long ago, I can't remember how it really got started. But I I remember, obviously, phoning up HMRC to register as self-employed. Someone who I worked with happened to do accounts, so um, I I used them for a bit. She told me about bookkeeping, cash flow, all that kind of stuff. And um, I just got an inkling of someone who was looking for a logo. Uh, So I just got in touch with them, went to meet them, uh, and I got that job. And I don't know if this is luck or whatever. They turned out to be one of those absolute golden introducers. You know, the person who just introduces you to loads of people and the kind of person who, if you get an introduction from them, you trust them. And uh, so it was obviously just a real kind of amazing thing to happen at the start of the business. So they introduced me to one person and then another one. Interest, he was called Paul. The person he introduced me to was called Paul. So one meeting we were sat, there was four Pauls. It was a bit crazy. So, uh, yeah, it was a bit like an inception or something. <laughs> and, yeah, it just kind of went on from there. You know, I can't even remember how much I was charging back in them days, but um, it was enough to get me by, I would say. Um, and it, it started as a partnership did the business. So um, my best friend, James, James Robinson, we, we, we shared a house together and we, we, we said, why don't we set this business up? But obviously it couldn't sustain two people. So James carried on working in the ad industry and I was working, you know, full time from, from my bedroom and he would help out on a, on a night. So yeah, they were the kind of early starts. And I think I just jumped into networking I'm quite happy walking into a room of people, you know, that I've never met and just being kind of, you know, talking to anyone. So I think that kind of helps. I think when you're really quite nervous doing that, it can it can hamper the early days because you've got to speak to people, right? Yeah, yeah. You've got to speak to people. I mean, yeah. that that's that's a really, really important point. Um, and a lot of people, and I'm one of those people, I don't particularly like networking. So any tips for anybody who's not a good networker? Oof. Well, I did B and I for many years, so I learned a lot of stuff there. I think you've just got to go with confidence, knowing that everybody there is there for the same reason. You know, if if say if you go to the you go to a bar on a night personally, and you're on the pole, you don't know who else is on the pole. <laughs> so everyone there's on the the pole. Everyone's there to make contacts and make relationships. And one of the keys is just to ask what you can do for them and. St- Remember, you're not going to get any business on the networking event or on the day. You're starting a relationship. You're starting a conversation. Meet people outside of the networking event. Arrange some one-to-ones. Get relationships going. That's how it builds. So, and, and just walk in with confidence and don't be too boring. <laughs> We've all been stuck with that person networking where we're looking at our watch and, and dying to get <laughs> over to someone else. Don't, don't. Yeah, strike somewhere in the middle. <laughs> one of my one of my kind of techniques was to wear crazy shirts just to kind of stand out. This is not too crazy, but I got known for my my mad shirt, so maybe have a thing. Right. Okay. Okay. Good. No, some good tips there. Some good tips there. So, 
you're working from home. You're getting introduced to people. You're networking. When did when did you sort of start to feel actually this might work as a business? This this might be a might not just be me doing a, a bit of graphic, sorry, a bit of graphic design. And it, and you thought, hang on, this this might be a proper business. I mean, I, I sort of had I had the vision that it was proper from day one. I think you know, I, the the great benefit of being a graphic designer was it looked great from day one. You know, the logo and the, the website, God knows what it was built in them days, I can't remember. And, you know, the business cards and everything looked great from day one. So, we, you know, we had a, a little bit of a, a foot up, let's say. We looked better than some startups. So that that probably helped us out. I think my energy and passion kind of helped out. And, you know, the, I think the work looked good. You know, people kept coming back and introducing us. So, But I, I think it was when... James left probably, so he left his business, he left his work, his job, and he joined the business, and we both worked from from home um, for maybe half a year, a year, and then we got offices. So we got offices in Round A, uh, right near the park. Uh, I think that's probably, probably stands out as a defining moment for, okay, we mean business now, right, you know. Right. I was never one to sit in my dressing gown, but James was. So, you know, at that point, right, you're getting dressed, you're going to work, there's a start time, there's an end time, and people could come and see you in the meeting room. And you're not, I mean, I've spoken to some of the clients from back in those days, and he said, you know, he said, I remember coming to meet you in, you know, your living room, you know, two young lads and dressed scruffily, you know, gee, no, we never wore suits. It, we, were, we were designers, creatives. So, um, yeah, I think at that point we we probably thought, yeah, we're stepping up a gear now. Yeah, we're that. stepping up a gear. And again, I I did the same in my business. We did five years at home, and then when you get when you get an office, then you're going to work, and yeah. it, it feels it feels different. It feels different. So in those early days, were there any any learnings? I mean, obviously you knew how to do graphic design. How did you learn how to run a business? <sighs> I mean. I suppose it's that's that's the key to to this, you know. Uh, as you probably read the E Myth, you know that's that's what that book's about. You know, you start with a passion as as the the doer, the, the you know the designer, as it were, um, and you learn the other bits. You learn how to be the project manager and the the business owner. So I was, I think I was just a a real kind of self development junkie. You know, still am, still am. So any book I could get my hands on, any audio book, I would listen to them on the way to work. I would read them on a night, and I think I think that really helped. Any kind of self development seminar, I try and get along to it. So it, in some ways, you know, when people think learning stops and they leave school, I think mine sort of started really. I mean, I, I always loved school, but um, most of the things I've learned about business have been since then. Right, right. You know. I can't remember any business skills being taught in school particularly and all the maths you learn, none of that came in when, you, you know, you learn different skills, don't you, of balance sheets and profit and loss and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think I just learned along the way. Learned, and I really wanted to learn. So I met some good people. I think, I think when you look back over that long time, there's always standout people, isn't there? You know, some people who really give you a boost or, or they, they're a real shining light, like a mentor. You know, I can definitely pick out, pick out people like that along the way. And like the first guy who, uh, from LT Design, who was my, um, 
golden referrer. You can you can really pick people out who who find you some great work. Who would you sort of point out as as big big mentors in your business career? People who've made who've made that change. I think the first one was a lady called Lisa Rayson. She she worked as a mentor in the first place I worked. I stayed in touch with her. We got on really well, and she was the kind of person who came in and really kind of shook shook you up. Didn't speak like other people, you know. Um, you know, sat. I remember sitting down in a room with the designers in that first business, and the boss said, uh, you, "You're going to um, you're going to meet this lady called Lisa." And she just sat down. And she said, "What piece of work are you most proud of?" And why? And it was just like the way she kind of said it. it was just like no, no kind of formality. Straight said the kind of jugular. I since I since you know years later, she'd done a lot of NLP and she definitely read Stephen Covey because half of her language was was kind of you know Covey esque. Years later, in hindsight, and that led me on to stuff like that. So then I did I did NLP training with a guy called John Thompson from Metropolis. He was another kind of shining shining light um along along the way um so yeah that they were they were they were two big ones definitely changed me and my approach and how i speak to people so even even like branding workshops now you know the team say to me you just keep going till you get the answer the question is it doesn't matter how closed off they are you just keep going till you get the right answer and i think it's that nlp language of being able to read between the lines or ask things in different ways and find out people's, um, you know, their modalities and how they speak, you know, whether they're external, internal, all that kind of stuff. So NLP really helped me. Um, so that, that they, they were two people that I can come straight to mind, Phil. Right. Okay. You've mentioned a couple of things, and I think it's useful for people to know. Um, you mentioned uh, The E-Myth, um, which is a book I've read. Um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. You mentioned Covey. I assume you're talking about Seven Habits, which is is my go-to business book. Again, I'll put a link in there. Anybody who's not read Seven Habits of Successful People by Stephen Covey, read it. What are you doing? What are you doing? Why have you not read it? It's, it's like the magnum opus. It's you know, Even all these years later, a lot of gurus who come up now, they're rehashing stuff he was saying a long time ago. They are. They are. And I just want to just want to pick on on the NLP you talked about, because um, I know it's something that gets thrown around a lot. And there's probably people listening who who sort of know what it is, but but aren't sure. Just give us a, a, a basic understanding of NLP and also, more importantly, how it affected your business and your business's development or how you work as a business person. It affected my personal life much more, but that's another story. Okay, so it's, well, it's neuro-linguistic programming. So neuro, all about the brain, how the brain works, how it's wired, um, and how you've, how you've grown up and how that's shaped everything. Linguistic, the language you use externally and internally, um, how you talk to other people and how you talk to yourself, and programming, all the things that have been programmed in your life, whether it's your parents, your teachers, your peers, yeah, your bosses, um, everyone set a program and what, what NLP does is says those programs can be rewritten much like a software analogy. You know, you're the programmer and you can rewire yourself. And it, people have probably heard of Tony Robbins. He was an early proponent of NLP. He studied with, uh, John Grinder back in the early, you know, in the seventies and he became known for this rapid change. People who've been in therapy for years, 
went to Tony Robbins and in 20 minutes they were cured of their phobia or whatever it was. And that's what NLP does. It like reprograms your brain. Um, and the linguistic stuff you learn is just fantastic. I remember speaking to people around that time, you know, when, when I, I did an eight day course, a practitioner course, then I did a master's course, which is 10 days. And you come out of it feeling like Neo from the matrix, <laughs> you know, when Neo starts seeing code <laughs> and it, you yep, feel yep. like that people talking to you and you just i was at bars and people were going are you reading my mind and it's it's, it's insane how they just they say something and you can just read between the lines and say well did this happen to you a while ago and they're just like wow yeah it did <laughs> how did you know uh, and it's really hard to explain unless you sort of really go into it but um i think the linguistic side of it really helped the business because I started running branding briefings and workshops and I was able to dig right into the heart of strategy. Uh, and that's when it turned from logos to branding, I think. Right. Okay. And you, I know you use, use a system you call brandology. Um, talk us through, and I assume that's got some basis in the NLP as well. Talk us through, talk us through that process. So brandology has been shaped over those 19, 20 years. Uh, I think in the early days it was, probably happened in, in a space of weeks. Now it's a three-month process minimum, and there's five, sta five stages to that. So stage one is uncover. That's where we're doing the workshop stage, and we're, we spend a day in a room, and we're, we're, we're asking lots of questions on, on kind of you, your purpose, your vision, what you want to be known for, um, how, how you see yourself in the industry, how you want to stand out, how, how you want to fit in in some places, how you want to look, how you want to feel. I just and we, we, that's where the NLP really comes in, I think, because I'm I'm really getting to the heart of it. And sometimes people have never sat down for that long and thought about their idea and their business. And it's particularly when it's maybe a, an owner manager, they become like therapy sessions, Phil. <laughs> they really do. <laughs> you know, we've had people crying in the sessions before, um, and quite often the team think I undersell this bit because. They said it's not just Brandon at this point. You know, they're shaping their business, their business models. It can become real consultancy led. So that's stage one. You know, we fill a room full of A1 flip chart paper, and then we go away and we digest that, and we we go into stage two, which is research. So that's where we're trying to understand everything that happens in the industry, outside the industry, what people look like, what people sound like, what content they're putting out, how they're positioned, and particularly where the gaps are. How can one of our brands really punch through and stand out and be different? Stage three, define, which is I call a beanbag stage. That's where we kind of sit with sketchbooks and we're just kind of scoping out what the essence of this brand is. Is there a core idea? Is there something that can run as a thread through the whole brand? That moves on to stage four, which is voice, which is all the copy and the words. We're writing strap lines and sales messages, emotive language, tone of voice, copy lines, long form for website, short form for social. And after all of that, we then move on to stage five, which is what you would expect, which is the, the kind of experience of the brand, which is the logo, the color palette, the typography, the look and feel. All and But because we've spent so much time, stages one to four, we've got a real deep understanding of, of the brand and the industry. And um, what we do is we just serve up one option at the end of it. And we say, this is it. Wow. <laughs> Sometimes we do two or three if they feel like they really want to see options, but uh, we, we typically do one option. Right. 
right? Because my background's advertising. I was a, I was I was a suit, so we take three op we take three options in. We go, I, we like this one, but pick whichever one you want. I like the fact that you're going to go. There's your logo. That's great. I think it's really good. And I, I suppose you must see a lot of the time clients who come in and think they're just doing stage five. Do me do me a logo. Yeah, they give you a brief and then they start a logo, which I think you know that's what you go you go online and you can get logos for ten ten dollars. $99. That's what they're doing. Just taking a quick brief, jumping on the Mac, doing a logo. We're, we're creating a full brand. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's something that's going to last you hopefully forever. You know, might need a tweak a bit further down the line, but we're, we're creating a real story and a real strategy and a real positioning. And it's sometimes our brand presentations can provide content for years just off that one presentation. You know, you can take away what we've done and run with it. Run with it, absolutely run with it. There's, there's, there's everything in there. We're showing applications of social, website, advertising, promotions, how the copy works across all of them. And, you know, in terms of the, the, the options, but I just sort of epiphany that, you know, you don't go to the doctor and, and, and it puts three pills on the table and you shoot, you choose one, do you? <laughs> you know, you expect them to diagnose your issue and say you need codeine or whatever it is so i thought well right we're the experts shouldn't we be diagnosing which stages one to four do and then you know um prescribing stage five and you know when whenever we did and people loved it and they said can we see the what? Because we do the options, but we do them in house, and then we choose. So when whenever they say, "Can I see the other options?" they always go, "Oh yeah, I can see why you yeah, didn't do that." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of like, "Yeah, yeah." Hopefully, we're the experts, right? We, we know. No, what we're I, doing. I, I love that. I love that analogy. You're the expert, so you you need to be telling the client what they should do. Um, you just mentioned um, sort of presenting it to the client. I want you to tell our listeners your presentation story for Bradford. Is it Bradford Broad? Yeah, yeah. I, it, over the 20 years, this has been one of those career business highlights. Um, so we, we got a, a lead into the Broadway in Bradford. If you don't know about it, it's a big, big, huge shopping center in Bradford, you know, hundreds of millions, a kind of massive kind of redeveloped Bradford city center. It's got a backstory where there was just a giant hole in them in Bradford for many years. So it's got, you know, it had a lot to live up to, but it really did. And it shaped it. And we got an introduction to their marketing manager and he said, we're looking for a new agency. Um, I thought we were in. So we went for a meeting, got along like a house on fire. And then he said, actually, it's a pitch. And I said, I don't pitch, James. I just don't believe in pitching. I don't believe in pitching. It's like... I just think who pays for that? Because all pitches, most pitches are free, right? The existing clients pay for it, don't they? Because you, you have to take the time from them who are paying. And once that, say you win that client, if they then go on, you're then using their money to pitch for the next one. So the money's got to come from somewhere. So I never used to agree with it, but something was different with this one. I just had a real inkling and um, I said, right, okay, James, we're going to go for it. We're up against three other people. And I just said to the team, we've got to do something different. We've got to do something different. We had a really good creative idea. I said, we need to wow them. And um, again, just had an epiphany, probably in the shower, you know, <laughs> and I came into work and I was like, so broad, the Broadway's a huge big shopping complex, but it's an entertainment complex as well. 
So they've got a cinema. They they were about to get like a, a like a soft play center or a bowling alley or something like that. Ninja Warrior, all this kind of stuff. Loads of restaurants. And what they wanted to do was go from being known as shopping to being known as an entertainment center. And I just walked into the team one morning. I said, "Why don't we pitch in the cinema?" <laughs> and they were like, "Can you do that?" I was like. I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> so I said, why don't we find out? So we rang up the light and I said, right, this is top secret because the management team was the people we pitched to. And I said, can we hire your cinema to pitch to your management? You can't tell anyone. They said, oh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'll have to ask because it's it not long open, right? So then they said, um, yeah, you can, you know, 200 quid, whatever, for two hours. Um, I said, right, book it in. <laughs> you know, we had our slot and I said, you have to keep this quiet. No one can find out or it's ruined. So we then created this presentation, you know, really kind of hardworking keynote, lots of animation in it. And we went along to test it in the cinema and I'm thinking, what is this magic? How do they get the stuff on from there onto there? You know, well, how do they get Marvel movies from there onto there? And we turned up and he said, Here's the HDMI cable, plug it into your laptop. And I'm like, is that it? I was thinking there was more magic than that, Phil. I thought it was going to be, you know. So we literally plugged this in and our, our, our work was gigantic on this thing. And what we'd done was we created a movie trailer because we thought if we're in a cinema, right, we want a movie trailer to get. So we, we tested that and the sound nearly blew our head off because we created a real Marvel kind of cinematic, you know, inner world kind of trailer. Um, so, yeah, then we went away, and on the day, we designed, uh, we designed like, um, pitch pop, you know, for the, the drinks, you know, the, the Coca-Cola kind of pitch pop, pitch popcorn. We designed tickets, and so we, we, we I walked into the Brad, Broadway Bradford's office and they're all, they're all kind of, they're all waiting to come in. So they come into the thing. And just as I was walking in, James, my contact goes, have you got any boards? And I'm like, no. And he goes, I had nothing on me. I had nothing on me. I had not even a USB stick. And he went, have you got a presentation? I was like, no. And he goes, oh, he goes, go and sit in the room. And apparently I heard afterwards, he went into the meeting room and he went, he's in there. He's on his own and he's got nothing to show us. It's going to be a fucking disaster. <laughs> <laughs> they came into the meeting room a little bit like sort of this and they all sat down did introductions and Anna said do you mind just standing up and everyone's kind of looking around so already the power shifted I said I said do you want to come with me I just started walking out and they were like and then I, I said no come with me so literally the pitch power shifted from them being in control to me being in control so I walked them I walked them out I said grab your bag you're gonna need it we walked them downstairs out into the Bradford Street, and they were going, what's going on? At this point, they were like, I'm already sold. So then we walk in, and then it started to clock. The penny dropped. They went, we're going to the cinema, aren't we? And we got to the door, and I handed them tickets. They're all personalised with the seat number. We walked into the cinema. Our senior designer, Vicky, was there as an usher with a lanyard. He said, let me show you two seats with a torch. Sat them down, popcorn's there. Music lights go down, we hit play, and it just went boof with this crazy trailer, you know. Um, and yeah, then the trailer finished, they were like this. And then I, I, I did the Steve Jobs thing at the front of the front of the screen and, and took them through like a 90 minute presentation. And uh, right at the end, we give them each a paper. So the paper, um, 
it was because they said one of the things was they said they get a bad rap in the press from you know telegraph telegraph and argus kind of thing so we developed a paper that was from the future and it said broadway transforms bradford and we handed it and then in the paper it had all our examples of work and they they took that away so and we won <laughs> i was going i was just about to say please tell me you won <laughs> We did win. They did say afterwards it's the strength of creative that really won, but they will never ever forget what we did. Brilliant. So brilliant. That was the one and only time we've ever pitched. <laughs> okay, before we carry on, everything's going brilliantly at this point, Paul. For the for the business, everything's going well. And then we hit 2017. And before before Paul talks about what happened in 2017, I want to share with everybody the Leeds Business Podcast Fair Deal. The fair deal has two parts to it. My part of it is I bring you, the listener, brilliant, fantastic, inspirational guests like Paul for free every single week. You, listener, have two parts to your part of the fair deal. Part number one is I want you to share this podcast with one person you feel will get a benefit from it. And part two is I want you to post a review either at uh, Apple Podcasts on their app, at podchaser.com, or if you're listening on Spotify, give us a thumbs up and a five-star review. If you're watching, wave, Paul, if people are watching on YouTube, give this episode a thumbs up. That's all. That's the Leeds Business Podcast fair deal. Fair deal, Paul? Yeah, sounds good to me. I'll do that. <laughs> so, Paul, we get to 2017. Everything's going great with the business. It wasn't, actually. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. actually, ooh, Sorry. <laughs> All right, the business is going down the pan. (laughs) By that time it was, but in that period of the office, you know, we had the credit crunch and, you know, my business partner left the business and the offices flooded. I had to move out with a three-month-old baby. And so we had, there was like, there was definitely some bumps along the way in that period. Then we get to 2017 when things actually were going well. They were were really going well. (laughs) We'll go back to the flooding of the office and the business partner leaving shortly. Okay. Tell me about your situation. Yeah, so um, I built a team, um, got a really, really cool office space after the other one flooded, and we're on the up and up. Um, and 27th of January, 2017, we were packing to go away for a uh, spa weekend. Me and my wife were going to Chester, where my mum and dad live, and... They were looking after our son. We were going for a spa day at this beautiful, amazing place. And something just happened as we were packing. This like felt like I'd been hit with a sledgehammer in the back of my head. And um, I just went, whoa, I've got to lie down. Something's, something's gone wrong here. Um, that got worse and worse and worse to the point where I'm screaming in pain. Um, we went to the hospital and I had a CT scan within 20 minutes of being an A&E. So anyone who's been an A&E, as you know, Phil, that is fast. And that obviously means something could be seriously wrong. Didn't actually find anything then. Um, started talking about thunderclap headaches, all this stuff. I was getting sensitive to light. I couldn't, I kept saying, turn the lights down. Um, this pain was intense. I couldn't have any painkillers until I'd had the CT scan. Then they gave me a load of morphine and, and I was off my head. <laughs> Apparently my wife said I was just swearing the whole time. <laughs> you know, uh, and it, well, it turned out I'd had a brain hemorrhage just out of the blue. Uh, 
nearly knocked me off my feet kind of thing. And um, I spent the whole night in uh, Wakefield Hospital, uh, Pinderfields, and they did uh, a lumbar puncture and another CT scan. They hadn't found out at this point. And then in the middle of the night, I got woken up by a doctor. He came in and he just said, hi, Paul, you've had a brain hemorrhage and we need to get you to Leeds ASAP because they're the brain specialist ward and um, you may need some surgery today. So life turns upside down. I'm in floods of tears. Phoned up my wife and uh, she'd gone home just to try and get some sleep. Come back um, and waited six hours for this ambulance. Got took to Leeds and, and got the, in Pinderfields, I was up walking around, walking down, going into the lift, going up and down, getting some food. I get to Leeds, there's like six people waiting in all these machines. And they said, we've been waiting six hours for you. And they said, let you lie in that bed and you do not move. You can lift up a few degrees, but that is it. And they said, because you're in danger <laughs> right now. And I've been walking around this hospital. So it sort of got serious at that point. They did, they did the gold standard test uh, and they found out I'd had this aneurysm burst. And they said, we need to, um, we need to protect that right away and you're going to need brain surgery we can't go in from the top of your head so we couldn't have a craniotomy because it was too buried deep inside they said we're going to go in through your thigh and they're going to use keyhole surgery to get two millimeter stents into your brain um and we're going to do it today <laughs> so i was like obviously in in bits said can you get my son bring him in from school uh you know i need to see him in case i don't ever see him again um, so that was intense. Try not to get too emotional because I've done this podcast before <laughs> and I think you listened to it, Phil, and it's in, it's intense. So I didn't have the brain surgery that night because they were busy working on someone else who was even more emergency than me. Um, I had it the next morning at eight o'clock, three, four hours in surgery. Obviously made it a fantastic surgeon. Um, yeah, went all away from my thigh up to the head, showed me a picture of my brain where these things had gone. is insane. And they're like superheroes, right? So uh, there's no scar. That, you know, big bruise there, that healed within days. And then I just had a long, long recovery of um, trying to sort of steady myself walking again, sleeping for 18, 19 hours, and trying not to, uh, you know, have a second episode, which of you have some real hardcore drugs to stop that happening. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> my poor wife, bless her, you know, they sent us home, sent me home after 10 days with all, all these drugs. And they said, you know, and the surgeon who'd been very blase, you know, does this thing three, four times a day. He came and sat us down and he said, you see these ones? He goes, you take these religiously every four hours. And he was emphatic. And then he left. And so my wife, you know, just had to take over, you know, be my alarm clock and, and, and help nurse me back to back to health. So, yeah, it kind of, imagine, turned everything upside down. My team, there's two of them at the time. Vicky, who'd only been there six months, and Dean, who'd been there a number of years, they got a call on the Monday morning, because this happened on a Friday, with Susie saying, uh, obviously a call from Susie freaked him out straight away. Um, Paul's not coming to work and they were like alright oh, when is he coming to work she says I don't know if he ever will and they're obviously like just in huge shock he's had a brain hemorrhage they came to visit me in hospital um, a couple of days after and 
they had to run the business. No prior knowledge, not knowing how to do it. <laughs> a bit like me in the early days, but in a much different situation, right? A much different situation. And um, they uh, did a sterling job. My uh, my accountant, Debbie, do a shout out. Debbie from Not Just Numbers was amazing. Came in with Dean, helped him look at the invoicing system, how to get how to get money in, and they kept the ship running. You know, new business stopped, but everyone was kind of obviously so worried about me. They were all, they were all just concerned, and you know, they knew the team were going to take a bit longer, and it was just a nightmare. Wow. And I've I've heard this story before, and. There's an excellent version of this story with uh, Deborah Ogden in her podcast, which I'll put a link in the show notes to. And I know in that, you said the doctor told you you had a 50-50 chance of waking up again, didn't they? Well, no, yeah, brain, subarachnoid hemorrhages is 50-50, 50% don't make it, 50% do. And the ones who do, two-thirds roundabout are permanently disabled in some way. So I've... I'm very, very lucky minority. Wow. You know, uh, a lot of people who have a brain hemorrhage just fall flat. Don't know anything about it. They just they just die on the spot. Wow. So, yeah. But obviously, I, I felt it happen. I, this thing smacked me in the back of the head. That was obviously when this thing burst. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just, it gets described as the worst headache you can ever imagine, which right. it was, you know. I got wheeled into A&A, holding my head screaming. Wow. So that's why I got a CT scan into minutes yeah and without minimizing this whatsoever and obviously we're talking about business how how does how did the business run without you for what was it nearly a year no <laughs> no I, I say to people if i was employed i'd have had a sick note for a year quite easily could have easily extended that right uh within two months i was i was pack um shouldn't have been but we had this crazy opportunity coming the bbc got in touch with dean and they said, um, we're doing we're doing a piece for TV. And the research has shown that marmalade isn't being bought by young people. It's an old granny food. Uh, and we want you, because they knew we do food, 50% of what we do is food. They said, we found you online. We know you do food branding. Can you rebrand marmalade to appeal to younger people? And Dean like got in touch with me, you know, at Susie. And it was like, well, that sounds cool. Can we do it? And they said, thing is, we need to come and film you next week. <laughs> you know, <laughs> for this programme. The programme is called Rip Off Britain. I don't know if you remember it, of Angela Rippon. So, you know, when we said to people afterwards, we're featuring on Rip Off Britain, it didn't sound too good because <laughs> it's normally like your cowboy builders and all those kind of shysters. But we were on this little segment where they were going out on the street and they took our marmalade out on the street and they asked people to, to rate it. So uh, it was just such a good opportunity and Dean was like, I can't be in front of camera, you know, if this is a you thing. So my first day back pretty much was filming for the BBC. <laughs> and uh, people have told me since if they watch that video, they can tell us something not not quite right with me. I'm definitely not on right. the A game, I know. But um, then I basically just started coming back a couple of hours a day, working up to half a day, uh, you know. Um, and then within, within three, four months, I was back. I don't know, not full time, but I was definitely starting to come back into the into workplace. Albay with right. some changes, you know, some things had changed. My brain wasn't wasn't braining. 
time, you know, I couldn't quite find my words sometimes. Um, my wife said I was getting angrier. Never got angry before, quite a chill guy. Um, but that can happen post-hemorrhage, you know, it can affect uh, it can affect that. So, um, yeah, I used to do a lot of speaking gigs and they stopped that year because I just didn't have the confidence to get on stage and, and talk because I was forgetting words and, you know, when you're doing that, oh, it's like a, it's like a, uh, um, it's like, a, you know, I thought that's not going to be good on stage. I mean, I'm sure if I didn't explain why, people would have understood, but I just didn't feel confident in doing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, that's, you know, that's, I'm not belittling, that's five years ago. How are things with you and how are things, how's the business now? Has it, has the structure of the business changed since then? Have you, like, do you delegate more? Do you do less work? You know, how's it affected it from the business point of view? I think what it, what it really did was made, it made some of my clients say to me, it, it, they said to me, it really made me think, what would I do if I was incapacitated t- tomorrow? Because that's what happened. You know, look, we had some systems and stuff in place, but there were things in place that people weren't trained on. So, uh, you know, now, you know, we've got a cat manager, Gemma, she, she's trained on stream time, so she could, she could uh, run that side of it. But essentially new business, I think, when it falls on the owner, that's the thing that stops, and that's the lifeblood of the business. So if I was out of action for a year, it would have had a much, much bigger effect, I think, and we'd have probably had to shut up shop, I think. And now everything back to normal, or have you put systems in place to stop it happening? I think I'm back to normal. So I, I was, I was, I was getting scanned for two years uh, on the on the two year anniversary of it. I went and got a scan, and they said your aneurysm's gone. The stents are, are, are working. I just take an aspirin every day now because because the, the stents. So they said I'm no more at risk than anyone else in the general public. So I am hopefully in a good place. Uh, and the business, yeah, it, I mean we. Graphs go like graphs going like this to the business brain image. Doof. Then it started building up, and then it was COVID, Doof. and now it's just it's like it's like almost a straight line up since since twenty twenty. So yeah, Brilliant. yeah, two big factors, two real dips that were almost completely out of our control. I would say, <laughs> you know, sure. Now yeah. every guest we have on the Leeds Business Podcast, we ask them to give us a, a how to. So. Paul, what's your what's your how to going to be about? I'll give you a little bit of info first, right? So, a question for you then, Phil. When is the only time you get a house looking perfect? When you try and sell it. When's the only time you finish off all those jobs? When you're trying to sell it. So all those little jobs, right? You deep clean a place. All that DIY, you fix on the skirting board, you fix the creaky door, you know, you, you give, you give it a lick of paint, you know, um, the new bathroom might get ordered, you know, you fit that shelf. You do all those little jobs, don't you? And you get this, this house looking great and you take photos and then people come around and you look at the photos and you're like, why am I selling this? Looks awesome. You know, we, we never had it looking this good. And, um, I remember when we sold, me and James sold a house. We, we we were quite naughty actually. We took we got a friend who was a photographer to take some pictures. They used wide angle lenses, and then it was a really dull day. So I photoshopped a blue sky into the picture, and the the person from the agency got back in touch and said, "This picture of your house, it doesn't look real." <laughs> I think the sky was from like you know like a Jamaican sky something you know real, real paradise holiday. So I dull I, you know I, I desaturated it all, made it look a bit better, but. The house looked great. And um, why does it look great? Because you're trying to sell it. 
But what are you trying to do with your business every day? You're trying to sell it. Not the business, you're trying to sell what the business does. So I just say, okay, get that mindset. Get that mindset. Be ready for selling. You know, if if your biggest prospect phoned up today and said, I need a meeting with you tomorrow, are you going to spend most of the night scrabbling around, tidying up meeting rooms and ironing, pressing the suit and all that kind of stuff? And, and, oh, my God, we've run out of business cards. All those kind of things that need doing. Or do you go, yeah, cool, come in at eight. And you you just have a glass of wine tonight and, you know, you're in a good place. So how many little jobs are there to do in your business? You know, uh, you know, how many things need doing that you know need doing that if you knew someone was coming to buy tomorrow or have an open house, you know, if you're having your open house tomorrow, which essentially that's what networking might be or, or an event or a webinar, you know, you're inviting people in. So um, have you got creaking doors? <laughs> you know, have you got shelves that aren't in place? You know, so what does the shop front look like? What's the website look like? You know, other other. So step by step, it's kind of step number one. Pretend you're selling right. So have a walk around your house. You know, write down all the little jobs that need doing. So, you know, what's your website looking like? Are the blogs old? Have you even got a blog? You know, have you got award winning in 2012 on there, you know, what looks old, what looks creaky, what needs an oil, um, you know, when was the last time you posted decent content, when was the last time you looked like you were an absolute relevant, contentful business who is active today, not three years ago, so, you know, what's your Zoom background look like, your email banners, your, your, your invoices, your team pictures, have a, have a kind of walk around your, your business and, and see what needs doing. And then just step two might be create a priority order for that. You know, some things are going to have the most value in the days and weeks ahead. Some things are going to take a bit of time and a bit of investment to get that done. But step three for me is get your tools out and start fixing it up. What do you do when you're selling a house, right? You take the weekend to do it, don't you? You know, just you might need to just grab a couple of days and absolutely knuckle down and get all these jobs done. Tell your clients you're training for two days, put an out of office on, uh, take a weekend to sort it as if you were selling a house, take a holiday and get it smashed through. So it's get ready for selling. And then um, I think step four might be uh, take pictures for the brochure. <laughs> What's your version of that? You know, do you get a new team shoot or do you do you do you? Do you do a nice video of the website and you put it on LinkedIn or how do you tell people that you've tidied everything up and that this house, this business is looking the best it can and that people want to buy from you? So um, you might start posting, start messaging, get a few kind of coffees and uh, meetings lined up, um, take a single day to tee up a load of visits or an open house, you know, invite people to your meeting room if you've got an office, if you work remote, get a few Zoom calls in, you know, or get, get a few coffees lined up in a, in a nice kind of hotel or whatever for the day and just be confident that you've tidied up your house and you've got all the little jobs done you know the brand's been tickled up everything looks fresh it's had a fresh lick of paint and then um i think at the end of it just much like in a house watch out for dust <laughs> a mess that gathers over time you know you might need to do this again in three months sometimes like inconsistencies appear you know one PowerPoint looks different to the next, you know, uh, a proposal you sent out this month looks different to the last one. Get consistency, get, get, get the brand looking great so that whatever people see, they know it's you. They know it's you. Latest events can become not so latest quite quick. 
you know, if, if you're putting latest news on your website, make sure it is the latest news. And, you know, I hate it when people go, you know, we won this in 2008. It's like, I mean, a lot can happen in, in that time, can't it? You might be terrible now. And my analogy always was the, the busy restaurant. So you walk down the street, you're looking for something to eat. One quiet restaurant, no one in there, one busy restaurant. You don't go the quiet one, mate. You go the busy one. What's your version of busy? So, what, you know, are you posting about the events you're up? Are you entering awards? You know, have you met people? Do you post pics about that? You need to look like the busy restaurant, like you've got something to say, like you're relevant. And I give this advice out, Phil, and we're so busy working on other people's brand that our brand gets a bit dusty, right? So we haven't posted a portfolio piece since January and we just posted up one this month and we've just said we're not going to do that again. We're going to make sure, you know, our house is in order. <laughs> you know, we're going to walk around and do these little jobs as well because we're in a position where we can do it all. So, uh, you know, we're in a better place than most that we can we can fix up the house. We don't need to we don't need to get the plumber and the electrician in. <laughs> you know, we can do most of it. So yeah, that would be my 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 how to get ready for selling. Brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant, and, and that is so true. It's very easy to take your eye off the ball. Um, with lots and lots of different things, and it's like your own house. You don't realise that door squeaks or that handle doesn't work or that light bulb's not working. And, and you're right, from a business point of view, we need to do the same thing. That brilliant, brilliant device ball, brilliant device ball. And finally, um, every guest on the Leeds Business Podcast is invited to give a shout-out to another Leeds business. So, Paul, who are you going to give a shout-out to? I think I need to pay it back a little bit to the biscuit. Lisa and Saskia, they are the reason I'm speaking to you today, Phil. Uh, we recently did their rebrand and they're a fantastic Leeds local business. Uh, they make the most amazing personalised biscuits. So get on it, get some ordered, you know, thank a client or, you know, send, send a nice, send a nice gift to a client. We, we have a thing called the brand anniversary. So on, on the anniversary when we've, we've presented a brand, we send something and we've been sending some of their biscuits and they've gone down a treat. So yeah, yeah. Get something like the brand anniversary in mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's Lisa is asking from the biscuit. Um, there'll be a link in the show notes down there. Um, and there'll also be a link to uh, their episode of the podcast. So you'll be able to hear all about their business story, which is, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, Paul, thanks for coming on today. It's been absolutely brilliant. Thanks ever so much. Thank you, Phil. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you found it interesting, inspiring and of use. To make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes, please subscribe to the show. Go on, do it now. Do it now before you go off and do something else. Thank you. Much appreciated. Oh, and don't forget our fair deal. See you next week. <laughs>